Amen. Well, we are in a series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. And uh, we've been going through major people in the Old Testament, building the chronological storyline of your story and mine, really. It's about God pursuing us, God's redemption story, about what ultimately brought you into faith in Jesus Christ and changed your life. My hope is you're rejoicing in that this morning, that you know your eternity is secure, that when you read the story of, for example, like Martha and Lazarus, Lazarus being dead four days, and Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never what? Never die. You're never going to die. You're going to go from this life to eternal life. And that brings you joy today in your life and confidence and hope and purpose and meaning. We began in the very beginning talking about Adam and Eve. And I'd love for you to know this chronological storyline. So if people say to you, hey, walk me through the history of God's pursuing us, you'd kind of know it. Adam and Eve. And then there was Cain and Abel. We talked about them and Noah and the Tower of Babel and Abraham and Isaac. And then Isaac's son, Jacob, and Jacob's most loved son, Joseph, who forgave his brothers, the brothers that sold him into slavery. And after 400 years, God raised up Moses, who led 2 million Jews out of slavery in Egypt. They went to spy out the promised land that God had given them. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, believed God for a victory. The other 10 didn't. For that reason, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. After that 40 years, uh, Joshua would lead them into the promised land, defeat Jericho. Rahab, the harlot, placed her faith and trust in God, and the entire family was saved from destruction because of her faith in the God of Israel. And then uh, we talked about Deborah and Gideon, the period of the judges. Deborah and Gideon were two of the 12 judges in a 400-year period that's contained in the book of Judges. But sadly, the Israelites fell into a sin cycle in the promised land, constantly falling back into sin, evil doing and idol worship, and they'd be judged. A surrounding nation would conquer them, and a judge would lead them out of slavery and servitude into freedom again, but they'd fall back into sin. A sad 400 years, described in the book of Judges as everyone did what was what? Right in their own eyes, not what was right in God's eyes. And we talked about the importance of doing what's right in God's eyes, not compromising, keeping our focus on Jesus Christ and doing what's right in God's eyes, not in our own eyes. And today I want to talk about a woman that lived during the period of the judges. And she was a woman that had faith in God, left her comfort zone, and loved her mother-in-law. That's a challenge right there, amen? That loved her mother-in-law. No, I have a great mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. And she's wonderful. In fact, is she here today? Just want to make sure she heard that. But Ruth loved her mother-in-law and put her love into action. And that's the woman that we're talking about today. Like you turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open it to Ruth chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, right? It's page 222 in your chair, Bibles. It's an amazing story. It says this, In those days when the judges ruled, is verse 1, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem. We know Bethlehem because it's the birthplace of Jesus, exactly. So this man lived in Bethlehem. Went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Abimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. Here's the story. 
I'll put it on the map for you so you have a, an idea of what happened. Elimelech and Naomi, they lived in Bethlehem where that yellow dot is, but there was a famine in the land. So Elimelech, caring for his family, not wanting his family to suffer, took his wife Naomi and his two sons, Malon and Kilian, and they moved to Moab. See that where, the, where the yellow dot is now? They, he took them there. It was a foreign country. It was a country that the Jews normally would not associate with. But since there was a famine, he heard there was food in Moab, took his family there. Something sad happens. While they're there, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, he dies. Naomi's now a widow. After the death of Elimelech, Malon marries a woman by the name of Ruth. Killian marries a name by the woman of Orpah. You might know her. She started a talk show. No, that was, that was Oprah, right? That's right. Killian marries Orpah, another Moabite woman. The sad thing is both Malon and Killian die. We don't know how they died, but they died, leaving Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah as widows. Naomi says, you know what? I'm, I'm heading back. I'm going back to Israel. There's nothing for me here. I'm going back where my family's from. And she tells her daughter-in-laws, you stay here. Don't worry about me. You marry again. You have your families here. Stay here. Orpah stays. Ruth refuses to stay. She returns with Naomi to the land of Israel, to the area and region of Bethlehem. Here's the bottom line of this woman by the name of Ruth, who, by the way, becomes an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Ruth becomes a hero because of her love for Naomi, her desire to follow the God of Israel, and the love she shares with a man by the name of Boaz. This love story reminds us of the importance of a godly love that is put into action in our lives. The theme of this whole book could be love story. An amazing story of Ruth's love for a woman by the name of Naomi, her mother-in-law, and then a man falling in love with this woman by the name of Ruth. His name is Boaz. It has love all over it. And by the way, Boaz, this man who marries Ruth, becomes a type of Christ. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But he redeems Ruth. He, in essence, buys the privilege of marrying her. And we'll get into that in just a second. But let me kind of go through the story of Ruth. Uh, this is what Naomi said to Ruth. Uh, in verse 15 of chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, look at it. It says, And Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or, follow, or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. This is one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. When, when Naomi gets back to Israel, look what, she, look what she says. She's not in a good place. Look at verse 20. It says this. When she comes back to her family, they said, Is not this woman Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has done calamity upon me? She was not in a good place. Naomi was a woman that was hurting, struggling with God. And I believe that's one of the reasons why Ruth decided to stay with her, to help her through her difficult time. Now, what's happening? They're poor. Ruth and Naomi have nothing. So Ruth says this, hey, I'm going to go out and glean in the fields. In Israel, if you were a landowner, you would harvest your crop. But you would allow poor people to glean whatever was left over, whatever the harvesters didn't pick up. So Ruth said, I'm going to go out and glean. Look at verse uh, 2 of chapter 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him whose sight I shall find favor. I'm going to go out and try to find a field that, that I can glean from. Find a, a landowner that will give me favor. She finds it in Boaz. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. A hardworking woman, gleaning in the field, trying to get food for herself and Naomi. Verse 11, Boaz goes up to her and speaks to her. He says this, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Boaz says, Ruth, I've been hearing about you how you're loving your mother-in-law and caring for her, how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given to you. Then she said to him, verse 13, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz says, hey, Ruth, keep gleaning. You can tell Boaz is attracted to this woman a hardworking, beautiful woman. Keep cleaning in my fields. Don't go anywhere else. We'll take care of you. You know the people here. You're safe here. Keep cleaning. Verse 23 of chapter 2 says this, So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, cleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. But her mother-in-law had a plan. She said, Hey, Ruth, do this. Tonight, Boaz is cleaning in the field. He's harvesting in his crops. Go to him at night, wash up, clean off. Look what it says here in chapter 3, verse 3. Naomi says, wash therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished his work and his, his food and drink. But when he lies down, observe where he lies. And Ruth does that. Boaz, verse 9, he sees this woman who's at the threshing floor says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What she says is this. In the history of Israel, when a man would die, they had what was called this liveret law. Liver come, liveret comes from the, uh, the, uh, the Latin word brother. If a man died, the brother had an obligation to consider taking on the widow of the brother so that the property of the brother was not lost outside the family. And if there was no brother, and there wasn't any here because the brother had died, 
The next relative would be the kinsman redeemer, the one who would have the legal uh, obligation in a sense. He had the option not to do it, but there was a legal expectation for the kinsman redeemer to buy the land and all the obligations that went with it. And, and Ruth says this to Boaz, you're my kinsman. You're related to my husband. You can be a redeemer. And Boaz likes the idea and he says, but I know there's a redeemer, a, a kinsman that's closer to you than I am in the family tree. I need to get approval from him. So he goes into town the very next day, meets this family member that is closer to this family than he is. He says, are you willing to redeem this property? If you are, uh, what will come with it are two widows, Naomi and Ruth. The man goes, man, I, I want the property, but I don't want the widows. I don't want that on my bill. I'm not going to redeem. I'm not going to take the land. So Boaz, his opportunity is realized. He buys the legal rights to the property and the option to care for Naomi and Ruth. Then it says this in chapter 4. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite and the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The guy goes, I don't want it. So Boaz buys the land and with it becomes the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. Verse 11. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and she, uh, and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Uh, the son's name was Obed. Look down at verse 17. The women in the neighborhood gave him a name, this son of Ruth, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, and becomes the ancestor of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful love story, an amazing love story. And for us, reminds us of a woman who put her love into action. In fact, I want to go back to chapter 1 where she says those powerful words when she says, do not urge me to leave you for where I go, you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Here's the first lesson for us to put love into action. And by the way, love is a, a verb, right? It's not just a feeling, not just a noun. It's you put love into action. That's what the body of Christ is all about. If God loved us from heaven but never came to earth, you would say, what kind of love is that? But Jesus left heaven, put his love into action, went all the way to the cross. And for us as believers, and I'm going to talk about friendships here. I'm going to talk about marriages here. There are some principles in Ruth's commitment to Naomi that we can apply to our lives and relationship with one another and principles we can apply in our marriages, in my marriage. Because believe me, God does not want me to have a mediocre marriage with my wife. He wants me to have an abundant marriage with my wife. He doesn't want me to have mediocre relationships with you all. He wants me to have abundant relationships with you in the body of Christ. Now, I realize there are circles of friends in everyone's life. I can't be equally close to all of you. But I can tell you this. There are people in this church that have blessed me incredibly because they've put their love into action. There are people in this church that I would imagine have blessed you if you've been at all engaged in this church because 
People have put their love into action. And that's exactly what Ruth is like. And I think there's important lessons for all of us. Here's lesson number one. Love in action stays connected with someone through difficult times. You know, in this world, when someone's hurting, when someone has a need, the tendency is often to pull away, to draw back. Here's what the body of Christ is called to do. And we're called to live like Ruth did. Ruth saw Naomi's need. She left her family. She left her mother and father. She drew into and stayed connected with Naomi's life. She allowed the God of Israel to become her God. She put her faith in the true God of Israel. She stayed connected with Naomi. My prayer is that we would be that, that kind of person, that kind of believer who would not abandon people who are in need. That's what ministries here at Riverview are all about. Every ministry here is designed to help people in their needs, to help them, number one, to grow closer to God in their relationship with God, and then if something happens, to be a support system around those people who have needs and problems. That's why I encourage you, if you're a person that just slips into Riverview and slips out, that you would consider becoming more engaged, using your gifts and abilities to make an impact in the lives of others. If you're in a marriage today, I know this sounds really basic, stay connected with your spouse. Stay connected. If there are struggles that you're having in a marriage, stay connected, stay engaged, don't give up. See, there, there's a, a reality that we see in Ruth's life in this account. It didn't matter how uncomfortable the journey was that she was going to be going on. She's going to a country she did not know. That didn't matter to her. It didn't matter whether there was going to be food to eat there or a place to stay. She was committed to Naomi. She was not leaving. I'm sticking with you. See, Ruth was determined to help meet Naomi's needs, to put love into action. And my friends, what makes a church special? What makes a church a community that people are attracted to? Yes, of course, it's Jesus Christ and the awesome God that we serve. He is awesome. But it's when that awesome God and our relationship with him transforms our relationship with one another that we become this community that truly loves one another, not just when things are going well, but when there's difficulties. I'm reminded of this account I read about a woman the story is told of a girl who regretted breaking her engagement with her fiancé. And she wrote this letter. Dearest Tommy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I have felt ever since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. And then she added this P.S. at the bottom of the letter. By the way, congratulations on winning the state lottery. <laughs> you know, her feelings changed a little bit when his circumstances changed. We want to be a church that says, no matter what happens, I'm committed to this relationship. I'm committed to being a person that allows my love for you to be put into action. See, love in action has staying power. That's what makes the church so radically different than a community without Christ. There's a staying power. Ruth had it. I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to go with you and allow your people to be my people. I'm leaving my family, what I'm comfortable with. Naomi, I love you. 
not going to leave you. Here's the second thing. It wisely adjusts to others in its sacrificial ways. What does Ruth do? She leaves her family. She leaves her country. She adopts the God of Israel. She moves to the region of Bethlehem. She adjusts everything about her life because of her love for Naomi. And I have to say this, when I think about that quality, what a powerful quality for a husband and wife to have in marriage. That husbands, you love your wife enough to adjust what you deem as important or some of your likes so that you can better connect with your wife. Wives, you adjust what you like and some of the things that you enjoy doing to better connect with your husband. That's what marriage ultimately is. It's two people adjusting to one another so the two can become one and share all of life together. Now, obviously, there are things that we don't adjust, right? Like there are things at this church that we will not adjust. If someone comes in and says, hey, Jesus was in God, of course, we would never adjust our belief that Jesus was God in flesh who came as the worthy lamb of God to take your sins and mine. Never change that. That's a belief I would die for easily. We would also never adjust how a person gets to heaven. We would never adjust that. Someone came in and said, man, you got to be a good person to get to heaven. you got to do all these things, these five things, in order to get to heaven. That's how you get to heaven. You work for it. No, that's, that's a false teaching. We'll not adjust what the Bible teaches, a core doctrine of our faith, that we are saved by faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the beauty of the gospel. We're not going to adjust that. What we're talking about here is being a person like Ruth that loved Naomi so much, she was willing to adjust her schedule. She was willing to adjust even where she was going to live in order to help meet the needs of Naomi. And I think about that, and I think that's what the church is doing all the time. We have people coming here in the early morning, late at night. We have people coming all throughout the week who are adjusting their schedule, their free time, They're adjusting their resources in order to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Thank you. Thank you for being that kind of person. I know there are others of you that are involved in the community making a difference in various parachurch organizations, organizations that aren't the church, but they come alongside the church and help the church accomplish what we need to accomplish. Thank you for being that. But I want to ask you, do you have a love that's put into action, a love that adjusts to deepen the relationship you have with people around you, a love that adjusts to deepen even your marital relationship with your spouse, to live out marriage the way God intended? You know, I, I say this all the time because people are more and more moving away from the biblical model of marriage. It's not that marriage has been tried and found wanting, right? Oh, we try, society has tried marriage and it's been found wanting and we're not doing it anymore. That's not the reality. The reality is marriage the way God intended has never been tried ultimately in our culture. We're not doing marriage God's way. So of course it's not working because people are coming into marriage not willing to adjust to the other person. Not willing to see the needs of others being more important than their own. See, love in action seeks relational unity and understanding. That in this marriage relationship, I will seek to understand my spouse, to deepen my relationship with my spouse, to adjust my habits, 
my preferences in order to deepen and strengthen this relationship. That leads me to point number three. It's this. Love in action communicates a permanence about the relationship. What does Ruth say? She says this. Where you die, Naomi, I'm going to die. Where they bury you, they're going to bury me. To me, that says, I am in this for the long haul. I am not quitting. See, love in action never gives up. That's why I tell couples when I'm counseling them in premarital counseling, never say the D word. When you're in a marriage, never say the D word. Never say, okay, then maybe we should get a divorce. That's the D word. You never say it. What does that communicate? Maybe we should quit. Maybe we should give up. My prayer would be every husband and wife would say, I am in this permanently. It's what we say at the altar at weddings, right? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till what? Till death do us part. Now let me say this. I know people have been divorced. And there are divorces in the church. And that happens. And obviously it breaks my heart as a pastor. It breaks the heart of anybody who's been involved in a divorce. Here's the good news about God. Even if that relationship cannot be restored, and often it has been, I've seen people who've been divorced have their relationship restored and they've been remarried. It can happen. Often it doesn't. But our God is the God of the second chance. Our God can take a person who's been divorced and through a a time of restoration, a time of healing, there can be a restoration in that person's life. But my prayer would be that that person now entering into maybe a new relationship would say, I will do it God's way. I will never give up on this marriage. Now, obviously, it takes two to have that commitment. It takes both people to have that commitment. One person can say, I'll never give up on this relationship. The other person might say, I'm out of here. Breaks my heart as a pastor. Because I know in my marriage, we've all had problems, right? But I know it's the working through the problems that has made my relationship with my wife deeper and stronger. Am I perfect yet? No. But I want to tell you this. My wife has been used by God more than any other person on the planet to make me more like Christ. God uses my wife to identify the areas in my life that need to change more than any other person in my life. And there are times in my flesh, early on, I might have said, man, maybe I should get out of this relationship. But it was the never giving up. It was the working through the problems. Whatever the problems are, we're in this spaceship together. There's no exit pod. We're going to stay in this until we arrive at the place God wants us. See, love in action ultimately starts in this way. It starts with a heart that wants to glorify God and a love that says, I want to take the love of God and allow it to be lived out in my life. See, we love others because God first loved us. Until God demonstrated what love was, we really didn't know what love was. But when Jesus came to the earth and went all the way to the cross, we have a better understanding of what love really is. So when we focus on Jesus and have an other's orientation like Jesus had, all the way to the cross, then we understand better what love is. And and then as a result of that, God humbles us and we realize what our shortcomings are and we become teachable and we become a person that prefers others above ourselves. We're willing to adjust. We're not the people that say, hey, this is the way I am. I'm not changing. I'm not changing for you or anybody. Yeah, I have these shortcomings and failures, but this is the way I am. Love it or leave it. That's not a godly attitude. 
See, godly attitude says I'm humble, humble, teachable, preferring others above myself. And then forgiveness becomes the dominant modus operandi for relationships among Christians. That just like Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We become people that long to forgive others. Because in a church, they're all imperfect people. And there will be times when we will disappoint or hurt one another. But we want to be like Jesus. We want to forgive. In fact, we want to show our love for Jesus by the way we forgive. Humbly, with a teachable heart. And then to become a person that is constructive in the way we live with one another. We communicate in a constructive way. We seek to build one another up here at Riverview Church. We're, we're not a church that longs to shoot our wounded. That's not what we do. We want to build one another up. We love people enough to say, hey, this is an area that needs to change. The people in my life that I remember that put their love into action were the people that maybe had some hard conversations with me, but I knew they were done in love. Hey, Mel, this needs to change. Mel, this is an area that you need to work on. This, this is an area that you need to strengthen, be more like Christ. See, when it's done in love, it's, it's so much more readily accepted by the person hearing it. It's much more palatable. You can receive it and know that it's done out of a heart of love. And the desire is to glorify God in everything, to put our love into action. Leads me to the fourth thing. It's this, look for ways to encourage others in all your interactions. See, I love what Ruth does. Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. And by the way, when we get there, I'm going to go start gleaning the fields and provide food for you. Putting her love into action for Naomi. See, God's design is this, that in relationships, especially in marriages, by the way, you don't go into a relationship saying, hey, I'll give a little bit if you give a little bit. I'll love you if you love me. I'll do for you if you do for me. That's a conditional love. God's design for love is this. I'll give 100%, you give 100%. There's no counting. There's no desire for, hey, I will do for you, but I want a reciprocal action back to me. See, marriages, husbands, don't count. Don't say, hey, I've done two or three nice things for my wife. She hasn't done anything for me. Be the leader God's called you to be. Put your love into action. And you're ultimately, and I'm reminded of this so often, I'm not doing it for my wife. I don't do these nice things for my wife, for my wife ultimately. I'm doing it for Jesus ultimately which supersedes those feelings of I don't feel like doing this for my wife anymore. I don't feel like being nice to my spouse anymore. It doesn't matter. You're doing this for Jesus ultimately. It's for him. And by the way, so many times, that's turned around my attitude towards my spouse and hers toward mine. That we put our love into action here at the church that there is a body of believers that love one another and that we're here for one another and that we strengthen one another and we are the friendly church that our sign says. When we see somebody who looks lost on the patio, we reach out to them. Yeah, it's a risk. Yeah, it's taking you away from maybe other friendships on the patio that you could talk to. But you're reaching out to someone who maybe needs to hear from somebody at a church. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. What's your name? And that ultimately could lead to a different eternity. See, love in action engages in this mutual edification that's so beautiful about the body of Christ. 
And I can tell you time after time in my life, there are people that have done that for me. And my prayer would be you would find that here at Riverview. My prayer would be you would be the person edifying others here at Riverview, that that would be your ministry, that that would be your way of operating, looking for opportunities to lift someone up. Uh, And if someone shares a need, to pray with that person and maybe find ways in which you can connect that person with resources that can help meet that need. That's what we want here at Riverview. That's why we want this to be a radically different community. And it leads me to point five. It's this. It prioritizes, love and action, prioritizes the problems of others above my own. See, I believe was Ruth was all about meeting the needs of her mother-in-law that she loved, Naomi, who was hurting and discouraged and down. And she adopted the God of Israel. She became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story of this woman that took her life and changed it for somebody else. And you might say, well, Mel, what if people are, are walking all over me? Hey, unconditional love never means this. It doesn't mean you become a doormat for others to use and abuse. It's not what it means. And if that happens, what it does mean is this. You stand up for yourself firmly and lovingly. You, you, stand, you know what? I feel like I'm being abused. This, this is too much. This is asking too much. There are times when there are conversations that need to happen. If someone is abusing a relationship, Unconditional love does not mean you let people take advantage of you time and time again. What it does mean is you set up loving, realistic boundaries and expectations that you can meet, that the body of Christ can accomplish. In marriages, it's all about adjusting and lovingly setting up boundaries that work in a marriage. But it's being humble and teachable and owning what you need to change. Unconditional love does not mean you're looking the other way when others act badly or sinfully. That's enabling a bad lifestyle. You're enabling a person to live in sin. Unconditional love does mean that you confront biblically. What does biblically mean? Under control, in love, with a goal of restoration and positive change. That's what a body of Christ is all about. That's what marriages ought to be about. Love in action lives an others-oriented lifestyle. I'm looking at the needs of others above my own. And yes, there are ways to handle problems that occur, but it's done biblically. And as we close today, I want to give you some now what's. Be a person who loves others, who puts your love into action by being a faithful friend. And I mean husbands and wives too, right? Faithful. Faith is the center piece of your life. You're full of faith and you're doing everything you're doing because of your relationship with God. Be responsive to the needs of others around you. Don't run away. Stay connected. Be inquisitive. You seem down today. What's going on? What's happening? Husbands, you should be asking your wife every day, how's your day today? How are you doing? Wives, same thing of your husbands. How are you doing? How are you feeling today? You seem discouraged. What's going on? To be inquisitive. To be encouraging. To say say those things that build one another up. To be non-judgmental. You don't condemn others who blow it, who make a mistake. You correct others in love, and they may correct you at some point in love. And you receive it humbly. And then to be disclosing. To be a a body of Christ that's willing to take off our masks, 
be real, and, and, and share some of the struggles that we're going through so the body of Christ can step up and help meet that need. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer today. And as we consider this amazing love story about Ruth, it really is a beautiful story. And Boaz ends up marrying this young woman, and she becomes an ancestor of Christ. But more importantly, I see in this is a woman that put her love into action. So as we pray, I want you to consider how you can do that more effectively. Lord, I pray for each one here today. I pray that we would not just talk about love, but that we would put our love into action. A love like you loved us. Not a selfish love that's so prevalent in this world. It's really not even love. But your agape love, God, this unconditional love that says, I love you no matter what. And that we as a body of Christ here at Riverview would see a healthy body that steps up and in powerful ways we meet the needs of others. No one getting burned out. No one getting walked on or used as a doormat. Nothing like that. But the body of Christ alive and well. A body of believers that's so attractive to a world that's exhausted by the selfishness of this world that we would come here, Lord, and sense your presence at every function, every meeting, every service, and that we'd be drawn to you more and more in a deeper and real way, God. We want to be in your presence every day. We want to live in your presence and your power every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.